I see you, yeah you, flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases, or one-size-fits-all quick-fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. Welcome back to In the Red podcast with me, Anthony Hart, and you, whoever you are, wherever you are, you are as much a part of this as I am. Now, I have to say, it's been a little bit since I've been on, taken a hiatus for a couple of weeks. Some of it was planned, maybe not as much of it as should have been. I did get an amazing getaway to a cool conference called Embrace Your Ambition with some really beautiful, amazing people and got some time to be filled up, poured into, and just a chance to rub elbows, break bread with just good people. So there was some reason that I was not on, but I've got to get better at this. I'm learning still. So give me some leeway. I'm still realizing how much of a commitment this is and how important it is to you for me to be committed, for me to stay consistent. Now, wasn't it just a few weeks ago that I did an episode on consistency? So I will be the first to tell you as a person, a man, a husband, a father, and even a pastor. I've learned to admit my faults. It's okay. I'm learning too, and I'm inviting you to be the same in your life. Surround yourself with people who will challenge you to be better and love you when you're not, but won't leave you stuck in your ways either. So I've had some very mm, careful prodding from my wife over the last week to say it's time for you to get back on this horse and move and move and move. So here we are today. We're back at it. I'm here. You're here. And I'm excited to be here with you again. I do want to start this episode off with these instructions. Follow, download, review. If this is your first time with us, please, please, please follow the show, download an episode, but most importantly, leave a review. This helps me get into categories and puts me in uh, up in ranking so people can get more uh, connection to the show. If they're looking for something like us, they can find us a lot easier. So please take your time, leave a review, good or bad. I I hope they're all good. I I feel like we're on that term still. I don't think I've stepped on too many toes. Uh, Believe me, we've got a lot of road ahead of us, but I want you to be a part of this. And I want more importantly, this to get out because I believe we're going to be talking about some things that really matter, both in church and out of church. If you've been with me any amount of time, you know, I'm a pastor. I know we took a little bit in the first episode to get to that place, but that was for good purpose. I wanted you to come along for the ride, not because you're churchy or not churchy, not because you're Christian or not Christian, but because you're looking for something different, some truth, and we can walk that out together. It's not a debate. This is not going to be an argument. This is going to be a conversation. And I know for the most part, it's one-sided, right? You're just getting me, but I can assure you any conversation that I've had leading up to this point has led me to these broadcasts, has led me to these topics and these things that we're discussing, whether it was a conversation with God and 
although I've never heard the audible voice of God, I can assure you he talks to me in ways like shut up, stupid. Yes, that I usually don't tell myself shut up, stupid. So I know it's the Lord because he stops me in my tracks and says, hey, just pump the brakes for a minute, bro, and listen to me. And so many times uh, when I do that, I realize you're right. I need to just stop and listen for a minute. So all of us have that place. So I want you to come along with this. And the title of this episode may throw you off a little bit. Know your audience. Now, I think for many of us, we have a lot of audiences. I can assure you as a, for myself, a pastor, I have an audience every Sunday. Um, And that extends out more than that because, you know, we do go online and people can listen to the the service uh, on Facebook Live throughout the week and go to our website, gogcc.org. For those of you looking for a church, looking to connect with us even further, sorry, shameless plug. I only have a few of those throughout this thing. So, um, but I do have a lot of audiences. But for this one today, I want to talk about a couple of them. I want to talk about my audience as a husband, uh, as a father, as a pastor. And just as a friend, as we encounter people throughout life, we have to realize that our audiences change. And in order um, for us to reach them, we have to connect with them on their level. Now, I, I told you I've been gone for a while. And I know, I know, I feel bad. It's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without a dope beat to step to. But I did. And but we're back. But on this couple of weeks that I had off, I was gone to this conference that I told you about, and it was a business entrepreneurs founded in faith conference. And one of the things that was spoken by uh, my buddy, Nate, he um, does an amazing job with social media. And he was talking about marketing, marketing. Okay. So most of you would be like, oh, what does this have to do with church? What does this have to do with uh, audience. I can assure you, if you're looking for social impact, there's a book that he just was a part of writing. If you're looking to to figure out how to get relevant in your social media aspect, or if you're just looking, looking to connect on, uh, whether it be Instagram or Facebook with a dude who just has a great big heart, Nate Forrest is the guy. I'm just going to do a shameless plug for him right here. Nate Forrest, if you're listening, bro, I love you. I hope you know that. I want you to know how big your heart is, and I want to connect as many people to you as possible, especially when it comes to amplifying their voice in the social media realm. But one of the things he said in his uh, lecture that was a part of this conference, he started out with saying, whatever you do, whether it's um, doctor, whether it is entrepreneur, all the things, he said, even pastor, you have to be a marketer first. And what he's saying in order to reach people, marketing has to be at the forefront. And here's marketing. Here was the definition that he gave. I don't have the exact terminology in in front of me. I wish I did because he said it in such a beautiful way. But realistically, what he said was taking your product or your message and delivering it to somebody using their terms, their language, or their thoughts and desires. In other words, connecting on their level what you're trying to get to them. If something you have is so important, then wouldn't you want to make sure that you're reaching them on their level to deliver this right where they're at? 
that's the biggest part of marketing. And when he said that at first, he said marketing will come before even being a pastor. Instantly, all of us are like, if you're a Christian, if you're a pastor, you're like, uh, I don't know that that's true. Pastor always comes first. Hashtag godly. Hashtag uh, I have to be like Jesus. But then I began to think about this because this is one of the eye-opening moments I've had in my life throughout my ministry over the last three to five years. It really shifted the way I ministered, the way I talked to people, really. And it is this. Marketing does come first. I, I see on Facebook we are in a time and day where it feels like we are just so divided, both in the church and out of the church. This week alone, and the last week, I guess, is when it really happened, Roe versus Wade, taken down by the Supreme Court. And, oh my gosh, I am sick of the Christians who are all over Facebook making people feel like trash because they question some of these things, because they have questions about right or wrong, pro-life, pro-choice, all of the things uh, I've witnessed just people that I know from church and they're just damning people to hell because they've questioned this or because they might be on the fence about pro-choice or pro-life, whatever it may be. We've made it about your political party. We've made all the things. And for many people, we feel like we've won the battle because Roe versus Wade was appealed. But what we've not taken into account is the women that do have decisions to make, how this will affect us. Now, I'm a man. I'm, I hope y'all know that. I'm, I understand that. I'm not any question about that. I am a man. Ask my wife. I overthink like a man. I go into my nothing box like a man. I can just zone out like a man. You women are wired a completely different way. I loved a beautiful illustration I saw one time, and it was the minds of a man and a woman. A man was A to B, and there was one line between the two. And then you ladies was like a spaghetti. There was like a 15 million things going on inside your brain. And they were all just so beautifully intertwined, yet ugh, tragically intertwined, if you will. So my wife will ask me something. And if I'm thinking or doing something else, she's probably not going to get my attention. I have a one track mind. And then I have this place that men call the nothing box where I can just completely zone out. And she'll be like, what are you thinking about? And the answer is nothing. I don't know what it is. I, I don't even know. I probably was thinking about something, but it's inconsequential to the world around me. And it just drives her. How can you just think about nothing? I don't know. I wish you could do it because it's an amazing place. I know my audience. Me, I can speak to myself or not speak to myself. It's pretty easy. But going back to this Roe versus Wade, I've seen such ugliness from the church, the church, the place that Jesus commissioned to be hope, the place that Jesus commissioned to take a message of love, grace, and mercy, not of not a message that just enables you to do whatever you want. That's a brokenness in church. That's a brokenness in the world where we feel like love allows you to do whatever you want and we're supposed to accept it. I may not accept what you do. I may not appreciate what you knew. I'm definitely not going to enable what you do, but I'm going to love you in spite. That's what you have to realize for me as a pastor. I have things that I believe are right and I believe are wrong, but I realize you and I think differently or wired differently have come from different backgrounds in the same way Jesus and his audiences were. Now, I told you we're going to talk about knowing your audience. So for me, I'm going to break down my life and my audiences, and I want to begin to connect this because I think, church, we have to understand something. We, for the most part, do not know how to minister to the audience we've been called to. 
I'm going to say that again for those of you that are stuck in your nothing box or just weren't listening. Christians, for the most part, the church does not know how to minister to the people we've been called to because we try to minister like Jesus did without realizing who his audience was. Okay, let me get at you from it. Let me talk about my audiences. My wife, if she's my audience, it's it's hard for me to get on her level because man and woman. But I realize I've learned over the, the course of our, ooh, here we go, 17 years together, be 18 this year. I've learned over the course of our 17 years together that her and I speak a different language. So if I speak my language, if I use my witty humor, sharp tongue, sometimes it can come off very sarcastic, which for the most part is intended. Now I have friends that I can be sarcastic with and they'll receive the message. For 21 years when I was in the military, I was sarcastic and people received the message. There was no blurring of lines like, okay, they got that. So then I would come home and try to speak that language with her and it would never go over well. So I've learned I've got to speak her language and she's learned that she's got to speak mine. So when you get to that space, sometimes there's an awkwardness because you're not as good at it as they are. So you have to have a space for question and answer. I don't think we do this well in our intimate relationships. We just assume that that person's on the same level as us. And then we try to talk their language or we don't talk their language. So imagine you go to a foreign country, okay? And you get there and you kind of know their language. So you just start saying it the way you did and they get a puzzled look on your face. Would you, A, just continue on and say, get on my level, bro. I'm speaking your language good enough. You need to understand me. Or would you stop and say, maybe I'm just going to speak my language now. I'm just going to go back to English because I don't know Spanish real well. And I tried your way. Now I'm just going to speak my language. How is that going to affect the conversation? Or would you begin to work together in this moment, realizing that you don't have all of their language figured out? They probably don't know your language. So you begin to kind of walk through this and using, you know, picture type words, pointing to things, whatever it may be, to get the message across. That's because there's a beautiful intimacy that occurs with two people when we when we talk. It requires both of us to be in the situation and to be bought into getting the message across both ways, not just our message to somebody. That's called an argument or a debate. And I hate arguing and debating because for the most part, we're not even listening to the person across the table from us. We get our point across and then we listen enough to their retort just to start to process our argument back at them. So we're not really listening to what they're saying. We're just allowing them to give us a direction that we fire back at them. But realistically, the power of a conversation is knowing that you as a party in that have as much to bring to the conversation as take away from the conversation. I think this is the most amazing thing that can unlock your family dynamic, your marriage dynamic. It can lock your business dynamic. I think there's too many leaders, CEOs, business people out there who feel like they've arrived. And when they have a conversation with one of their workers, somebody, it may be their first week, there is such, um, I'm on this higher level and you're on this lower level and I'm going to speak down from my pedestal and you'll either receive it or you won't. But when you walk away, you better have everything you need to make sure you get the job right. Instead of lowering ourselves, 
or giving them the tools to raise themselves to our level. Wherever we meet in the middle, we lower their ourselves to speak their language, to help them in the space where they were. It doesn't reduce us, just as we talked about in one of the last episodes, is because when we have that ability to do that, we go back to where we were. But it gives them value in the moment to let you know that they are as much a part of this conversation as you are, and it's not one-sided. It is a two-sided conversation. See, this is what God does with us if we really want to get down to brass tacks. He could talk on a level that we would never understand. He could, uh, we really are never going to be worthy to be in the, in the, the same space with him, but he's done exactly that. He lowered himself. Jesus came, robed himself in flesh, did all this. And just to be on our level, to experience the pain and suffering that we wouldn't have to, so that we could talk to him on a different level so that we could give access. Now, I'm going to expand the conversation a little bit because now I'm going to go to my family, my children. I have three kids, one son, two daughters. My son's the oldest, and this dude is easy. He and I speak the same language. We kind of have a little bit of wit about us. Um, We can talk very little and get a huge message across. My daughter, my middle daughter, who's 13, she is wired a lot like me in the regard that I, before I do something, I need all the answers. If I have all the answers, man, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. But I want to make sure I get all the questions out of the way before I move forward with something. My wife, not that way. She is, if you toss her the keys to a helicopter, she's going to try to fly that joint. She may not know how, but she's going to give it her best. That's just the way she's wired. I want to make sure I do it right the first time, so I need all the information up front. My 13-year-old is that way. So she wants the answers to everything. So a conversation with her is almost exhausting. And when her her and I go at it together, we're both trying to get our, our thoughts across. We're trying to get our questions answered. And she thinks she has it all figured out to add a point. And she'll just she'll ask a question or she'll stop asking questions and I'll try to give her more information. It's just a backward forth. It is the ultimate tennis match. Then there's my baby girl. She's 11. And for the most part, she's pretty quiet until if you ever get the opportunity to pick her up from school, good Lord help you because you're not getting a word in edgewise. She's going to tell you about everything. And most of the people who are listening to this, if you know our family are probably saying, who? Your baby, like she is quiet all the time. She's the one that hides behind us when we're meeting new people. When we're walking around church on Sunday, she is not the one that's going to shake hands and kiss baby. She is the shyest person. But when she gets around mommy and daddy, when she gets out of school at the end of the day, you're getting a play-by-play breakdown of the whole day. You don't get a word in edgewise. You could probably care less about Becky's hair or what they did on the monkey bars or all that, but you just got to process it and take it in. And this is the place where sometimes I drift off into my nothing box and just listen to enough words to be a part of the conversation. But I have three different audiences and I have to learn to speak to them. I have to learn to correct them because all three take correction differently. And I have to learn how to respond to them because my response to them can be felt and experienced a different way. It's just the way it is. Now I'm a pastor and one of the biggest eye-opening moments was for me is when I watch on social media and Facebook and I see the amount of preachers and I'm talking about all you Christians on there that feel like you know all the truth and every time you talk, you're just trying to talk people into what you believe. You're just telling them they're wrong as strongly as you can. And this is where I came to. I realize there's a whole lot of people that know how to preach at people 
but not a lot of people know how to preach to people. Now, here's the difference between at and to. I'm going to put you in a very uh, visual example, very practical, because I think you can use this in bigger than just preaching. I think you can use this in your business, in your home, in communicating with people to to commission a conversation where the person across from you or the persons in the conversation with you feel as valued as you do. Because that's the purpose of everything we do as Christians. If you don't know that, the Ten Commandments was to do two things. That's why Jesus said there's only two commandments. And it was this. First was to value God. The first four commandments can be summed up in what Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your mind, body, and soul. In, in effect, that what that means is loving him with your everything. First four commandments, all four are putting God as a value and putting a value of him as number one. Second commandment, Jesus said, is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, we always stop with love your neighbor because it makes us feel good. And people who are out there being buttheads want to say that you need to love your neighbor. Yeah, well, you're not very lovable right now. And But what the, the whole entirety of it is to love your neighbor as yourself. So as we value and love God to a crazy level and we understand his value of the, as the creator, then we understand, the Bible says, we've been made in his image. So now we begin to value ourselves, not as we value ourselves, but as the creator values us. And that means getting it right, doing, looking at us the way we were intended to be, not the way we've become, not the mistakes we've made, but getting back to the very, the design for who we were. And that's who he loves us and values us at. And then when we understand that, then we're not chasing value and love in the eyes of anybody that give it to us. We're not going to the club and shaking our booties so somebody will love us and value us. Because I can guarantee as your booty gets older and saggier, they don't love you to the value that they used to. If people love you for who you are right now, looks, whatever you got, if you got money, status, all that, and that's what they love, as that looks, status changes over time, and it will, they're not going to love you. They just loved what you were, not who you are. But when you begin to understand who, how God loves you, he loves who you are, not what you've become, not what you will be, who you are. Because he sees through all your mess, he sees down deep. Then when you understand that's where your value lies and you walk into every relationship with the value that you already have, you're not trying to take value away from people. The six commandments after the first four are all about that. Understanding your value and the value of the other image carriers around you. Thou shalt not steal. If someone steals for you, they've put their value above yours. And the value of the thing that you have they need it more than you need it. If you're married and thou shalt not commit adultery, adultery is you placing your value above your spouse's. And then Jesus took it a step further and said, if you're looking at that girl's booty, you might as well be cheating on her because you valued that girl's booty over your wife's booty. Sorry, I'm real and I talk in real language because I think that's what we understand better. It's not these and thous and begats. We're talking about booties. I think that's the way we got to understand this thing. So value, value, value. When you're speaking to your audience, value, value, value. So I learned in my ministry that it's valuable for me to be able to bring value to somebody else to speak their language, as my buddy Nate talked about, marketing, speaking their language. So 
In a practical visual example, it's football. A quarterback and a receiver. If I take a quarterback and a receiver out and they've never played together and we just say, all right, wide receiver, just run out and the quarterback's going to throw it to you. They have zero communication on what route they're running, uh, what kind of ball the quarterback throws, any of that. So the wide receiver goes out and the quarterback throws the ball at the wide receiver because he's just throwing it in this general direction. He could put it in his hands. He could hit him in the back of the helmet for all we know. It's all a matter of if the wide receiver turned around at the right time, if, if he just happened to get lucky, because this is what preaching at people is. We just expect them to receive what we're throwing. We hope that they get lucky, or we just expect that they should understand the Bible the way we do, and we've, they've learned the lessons the way we have, because what we're throwing you matters, and you need to catch it. Okay. That's not practical. Now, if we were preaching, and that's why I say know your audience, because church, here's what you have to understand. Jesus knew his audience. Go back and look in the gospels. And like I said, there may be people here on here that are not Christian per se, like, oh, this pastor is just preaching at us again. I want you to take all this in because you can use this practically, whether you're a Christian or not. Now, I hope that you find some truth in this, and I hope you can connect to this creator that has created you and loves you in spite of how you feel about him or more importantly, what you've been told about him. But Jesus came and he told his disciples, we're not here to preach to the Gentiles. We're here to preach to the Jewish people. So what were the Jewish people? What kind of audience were they? The Jewish people knew the Old Testament. They'd lived their life by, it was their culture. Everything they did was intertwined with the law. So they knew the law. So when Jesus came and everything he preached he knew his audience would receive it. One of the biggest arguments this week I've heard with Roe versus Wade for people that are not Christians and are uh, against the decision and want abortion to be legal and all these things is, well, Jesus never said this. Now, I think this is such a broken mentality as much as, well, Jesus said this. Because Jesus did say a lot of things, but if you don't know the audience and how he said it, you'll never understand the context in which he said it or the heart he said it with. But on the same opposite place, if you don't understand his audience, then you won't understand why he didn't say some of the things he said. Now, it happens all the time, whether it be uh, just a few years ago on gay marriage. The first things I heard, I'd be, well, Jesus never said anything about that. Well, why is that? He was speaking to a culture who valued marriage of man and woman. Like it's who they were. It was in their laws. There was laws that said if you laid with somebody of the opposite sex or with the same sex, excuse me, if you laid with somebody of the same sex, you would be put to death. So Jesus is not going in there and re-preaching the Ten Commandments. He's making it clear. If you committed adultery, that was a sin that would was going to cause you a lot of backlash. So when Jesus is preaching about adultery, what does he say? He doesn't say, uh, do not commit adultery. He says, if you look at another woman or if you look at another man's wife, then you might as well have committed adultery because it's the position of your heart. He said the same thing about murder. If you committed murder in the Old Testament, you were dead. You were being put to death. So he's talking to this culture and he says, if you have anger towards somebody, you might as well committed murder. 
What is he saying? The posture of your heart, the fruit that's in your heart. If you have anger in you, you're one step away from committing murder. And it's your heart. You have a heart problem. You don't have an action problem yet. You got a heart problem. So I think we have to understand that when we see how Jesus preached. He ministered to people. He spoke to people. Why? Because he knew them. He knew where they were coming from. Now we look at two different groups that he ministered to. He ministered to the Pharisees different than he preached to everybody else. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the religious elite. They knew the law. They knew the Old Testament by heart. They had it memorized. They spent time in the temple. They were the uppity ups. They were the churchiest of churchy people. And when he spoke to them, he smacked them across the face with the truth. Like he held them accountable in so many ways. And this is the problem with the church today is this is how we preach to people who don't understand people who may have never been in church their whole life. People who are fresh in this thing and still learning. We want to talk to them. Jesus told the Pharisees at one point, he called them, you brood of vipers, you den of vipers. Like that was some cuss words back in the day. Like it was, you could call them some names. That was it. Jesus called them a den of vipers. The dudes that were religiously supposed to have it all figured out, the son of God standing in front of them. And he says, you are so jacked up. You're nothing but a den of vipers, a bunch of snakes. Now, if you're new to church or you've been in church before, have you ever felt like the preacher was preaching that way to you? You're just a den of snakes and you need to get saved or you're going to hell. See, Jesus wasn't talking to everybody like that. He was talking to the ones who should have had it figured out. Then he would go and he would, the woman at the well, if you want to think about that story, this is a Samaritan woman who Samaritans didn't really worship the way they were supposed to. So they were kind of put off to their own little side of the area. Um, Jesus goes out to the well at an odd hour of the day and meets this woman, this woman who had had four husbands was now sleeping with a dude that she's not married to. And he goes up in a society and culture where men should not have been speaking to women, especially if you weren't connected to them anyway. A Jew should not have spoken to a Samaritan, but he walked up to her and said, Hey, can I get a drink of water? He didn't have anything to get water with. And she was there. She was there in an odd hour a day. Why? Because she had been exiled even in her own community. Like she wouldn't go drink water with the other women because of the shame and disappointment in her life. Now, Jesus, the son of God, walks up to her and just begins to start a conversation with her and with a woman that he should not have been talking to and began to speak value to her, got on her level, began to say, can I have a drink of water? Who are you? Who am I to get you a drink of water? Well, I don't have anything. And she says, well, who am I getting a drink of water? And he said, if you knew who I was, then you wouldn't ask who I am. You would ask for the water that I have, the water of life. Now she's intrigued. Oh, well, who are you? And they begin to talk. And then after he starts or started this conversation, connected with her on her level, he says, woman, where's your husband at? Where's your boo thing? Now, if he would have started the conversation with that, as many church people would, where's your man at, whore? Where's your man you sleeping at, huh? You can't receive this water until you get your life right. But Jesus said, conversation, conversation, relationship, relationship, value, value. And then he said, where's your man at? She goes, well, I don't have a husband. I, I'm, And he goes, I know. But there's better for you. You're better than that. There's purpose in your life. You've not lost it. You've not forgot. You've not been exiled as people have. There is hope for you. 
there just because you're a Samaritan doesn't mean that you don't have access to to this Messiah that you've been talking that you've been told about. I'm here for you. And because of this, it changed this woman's life. She runs back, this one-on-one conversation, this valuable audience of one. Jesus speaks life into her. And because of it, she runs back to her city, to her town, and begins to tell everybody about this man that read her mail, called her out, but done it in such a way that she has value and purpose, and he helped restore that. And what happens? Now his audience gets bigger because he preached to her. He spoke to her. He didn't preach at her. He didn't use the truth to and weaponize it to hurt her with it. He presented it in such a manner to give her hope. And because of that, the whole town comes back, but then they don't even take her word on it and what he is. They invite him for two days to come and minister to them and live life with them and teach them. And because it, it changed all of them. See, the shifting happened when he got on her level, spoke to her in a man. Now, going back to the football perspective, a quarterback and a receiver, if the quarterback and the receiver have conversation, communication prior to, then they work out a game plan. I'm going to run a post route. So a post is straight, and then you cut to the middle of the field goal post. You're aimed at that. A corner route is you come to the middle of the field, and then you curl out, and you aim toward the corner of the end zone. So either one of these routes, the quarterback talks about it. They says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So the quarterback knows where you're going to run to, where you're going to cut, and where you're going to turn around and look at me. There's such a a conversation where he even does that. So then it's up to the quarterback to hit the that receiver at the right time in the right moment. But here's the important part. He does not put the ball in a place where the receiver can just catch it and then can't do anything with it. Now, if you throw the ball to somebody in the wrong place, they're going to have to turn their body, get awkward, and they could catch it, but they're going to be tackled before they could do anything else. A great quarterback not only communicates where he's going to throw the ball to, now it's in his hand that I want to put this football in a place in their position, in a place in their stride, that they can catch it and do something else with it. Go watch Tom Brady. Watch some of these quarterbacks. Their their intent is to position that receiver to take the ball to a place that they couldn't. I want you to get down the field to score a touchdown. So I'm going to put this in stride a couple of feet out in front of you, make you run to it, put it where a cornerback or a safety is not going to tackle you. I'm going to set you up for success. Now, how many of us as leaders, how many of us as pastors, how many of us as Christians have ever taken the time to really evaluate, are we speaking to people? Are we speaking at people? Are we preaching to people? Are we preaching at people? Just from my perspective, what I've seen in the church my whole life, I would say we're not very good at this. Just from Facebook over the last couple of days, last week, coming out of this Roe versus Wade decision, I would say we're still not very good at this. Looking at the desperation in our homes and our families where our youth are doing whatever they want. And there's not a conversation relationship with parents anymore. There's become such a division at the dinner table. We don't sit anymore and converse. Why? 
I don't know. It's because we don't feel comfortable learning other people's languages, speaking it, helping people to realize that they are value. Your value does not take away from somebody else's value. I think this is important. I want to challenge you today as we pull this thing to a close. Do you know your audience? Yes, every one of you has an audience. If you are not a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or a pastor or or a, a CEO or a director or a leader in your organization, you still have an audience. There's still people watching you and observing you. Christians, whether you lead a ministry or not, you have an audience. If you are the believer that you say you are, then everything you do matters more than everything you say. Everything you do matters more than everything you know. I want to present you with this last statement. Christians, your life will do one of two things. It will either be a distraction from Jesus or a reflection of Jesus. It's big words. I want to say it again. Your life as a Christian will either be a distraction from Jesus or a reflection of Jesus. If you want to say what Jesus said, then you better make sure your audience is right. It's time we begin to hold the church accountable for the things that we've said and done. It's time that we go and we give value to people who in our eyes and our Christian eyes have zero value because they're lost and sinful and all the things and they had an abortion or they're in a gay marriage or whatever it may be that has you up in your haunches today that says, you know what, they don't have any value in my eyes. They're going to hell and if they don't get on my level, then so be it. Yeah. I'd say you've got a lot more things to work out than you can imagine because you're not standing in the feet of Jesus today. You're not meeting people where they're at and communicating what they need to grow, to learn, to get access to love, grace, and mercy. You've put a red rope at the door of your elite club And you've defined your audience by who you want to look like, act like, and sound like you. If you wear the right thing, if you say the right thing, then you can get in my club. If not, I'm not even going to take the time to bounce you out. I'm just not going to let you in. That's not who Jesus came to be. That's not who he invited us to be. Because I can tell you this, if that was the case, I wouldn't be on this call with you right now. I wouldn't be on the mic as a pastor speaking life into people because I wouldn't have got into the club. I'm still learning. And so are you. And it's okay. If we want to know how to reach audiences then let's go to the best one that ever did it. The one who connected in a way with everybody he got to. And whether it was a single person or whether it it was a group of people, 
whether it was conversation around a fire, whether it was him standing on a mountain or a fishing boat speaking to groups and crowds of people. Jesus had a beautiful way of connecting his message with his audience in a way that made them feel valued, loved, in a way that gave an invitation to something better. That's just a little bit of what I've learned of diving in the red. I hope you've enjoyed this today. I invite you again, please follow the podcast, download episodes and review, leave a review, whatever it may be. Please, please, please connect with me. I'm on Instagram, A underscore heart 757. I'm on Facebook, Anthony Hart. I would love to connect with you. I would love to converse with you. I'm not an arguer or debater. So if that's your intent, save that for somebody else. But I'm open. I love to hear fresh perspective. I might chew on it. Doesn't mean I'll swallow it. Thank you for joining today. And I hope you have an amazing week. I hope you're already thinking about the audiences you have the ability to speak into, or maybe you're an audience. And maybe you need to communicate to your speaker your language so they can connect with you. Love you all. Have an amazing week. And you're going to see me a lot more frequently. I can promise you that. Let's go.